Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to our church podcast. This week's sermon is from our series, The Core, where we are taking a look at the values of our church stands on. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. I'm going to date some of you all. Who remembers that song, Say I Do? That's because you're old. All right? That's back in the 70s. Now, here's the beauty of a worship set like that. Because it drew our attention to the greatness, the giving power of God who gave his only son on a cross. And that's why we're here to worship. And so you will never be able to outgive God. And so I preach on subjects that are often uncomfortable. Because my goal is not to make you comfortable, not to make you happy, not to tickle your ears with some uh, shallow message. My goal as pastor of this church is to move us as a church and as individual followers of Jesus to a new level in our relationship with God. To another step on the journey, on the pilgrimage of our thing called faith. Because Jesus did not die on a cross and, and God has not given us a forever destiny in heaven so we can live some mundane, uh, a, a shallow, superficial, flat line of a spiritual life. He died on a cross to set us free so we're free to live. Jesus said, I give you life abundantly, full and free. And that's how we're supposed to live. And so some of those topics that we talk about are often uncomfortable. And so today we're going to talk about money. Because stewardship is a core value. And this is the last message in our series called The Core. And, and money, stewardship, is one of our core values. Because I want to tell you honestly that if God does not have control of your finances, He really doesn't have control of your heart. Now that's hard words, but it's true. Now I want you to know something. Your pastor loves you. And your pastor loves this church more than you possibly know because the church is the forever bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves the church. And as a follower of Jesus, I am required to love what Jesus loves. So I love the church. I love you. I love the church. But I'm not comfortable for us to just stay someplace. I think God wants us to keep moving forward. And so we're going to talk about money today. Look at your neighbor and say, the preacher's preaching on money. Yeah, just go ahead and say it because you're going to say it on the way home. Preaching on money again. Hush your mouth. I'm, I'm bringing today a message that will bless you. And it is not a prosperity gospel, but it is straight out of God's Word. Now, some people today will be encouraged. Some will be challenged and some will be just a little frustrated, maybe mad. And I don't know which camp you're in, but it's okay whichever camp you're in. That's between you and Jesus, okay? I know what camp I'm in. And based on that worship, the, 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 the Jesus who saved me that we worshiped a minute ago, I can stand here before you and preach God's word with boldness and not worry about whether you like it or not because it's helpful to all of us to hear this. And so I, you would agree with me that money is a big deal in our culture. If, it, if you agree with that, say, yeah, I do. Okay, if you've thought about money in the last week or so, say, I have. And if you didn't, you, you lying, either that or you need to give big because you got way too much. 
Share the love, okay? All right, now, in, in, in America, we have this thing called an American dream. It, it emerged early in the development of our, com- our, our country after the, after the Industrial Revolution. And the American dream was to buy, have a home for our family, okay, and, and, and to have a car to get to work. You know, Henry Ford was involved in that. And then, and then back in the day, at my age and older, remember this, everybody, you know, most everybody lived in like a smaller house, and it was okay. You know, I was raised till I was in the seventh grade with a house with about 800 feet in it. I have three brothers, one bathroom, okay? It's a good thing the Lord didn't give us any girls or the rest of us would have been outside, okay? But we were content with that. It was a good life. Well, today the American dream has changed. The American dream today is, is to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even really like. That's the American dream. Welcome to America, all right? And so we need to talk about how we view money. Uh, and so God weighs in on money, and he will today. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers and great leaders in, Christ, in Christendom, he says, religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. So I want you to know something today, that God wants us to be uncomfortable in our finances. It doesn't mean he wants us broke, so we're uncomfortable because we're hungry. He means, it means he wants us to move to a new level of commitment to him where we trust him. You see, look, we live in a world as Christians where often people will say, yeah, I trust, I trust God with my forever destiny. I got a heaven waiting for me one day. I trust him with my soul. But when it comes to our money, not so much. We may trust him a little bit along the way, but we don't fully trust him. So we're going to answer four questions, four questions today about money. And these are going to be uh, from God's Word. And I hope, that it, I hope it speaks to your heart. I hope you learn something today about your money and how God views your money. First thing I want you to ask, the first question we want to answer is this. Whose money is it? Look at your neighbor and say, whose is it? Now, if you ask your wife, she probably said, mine. All right? You know, you know the rule. What's yours, is, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. That's the wife's position, okay? Probably not a bad idea, okay? But the truth is we need to see what God says because he's going to weigh in on whose it is. So on the surface, when we ask that question, whose money is it, we immediately kind of think, well, it's mine. I mean, and I'll just, I, I had to labor through this myself because I think, you know, my money's kind of mine, right? Well, in 1 Samuel Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord sends poverty and wealth, and he humbles and he exalts. Okay, so listen, if you have any wealth at all, the Lord has sent it your way. And I just want to uh, remind you, you're wealthy. You are rich. Look at your neighbor and say, you're rich. Won't you share some? Yeah, well, you got to get quiet. Crickets, what's that? Okay, You compare yourself to anybody on the planet, any other country, by their measure, their standard of measure, you are a wealthy individual. Even if you have very little, you have more than the rest of the world. So just own it. And if you've never traveled outside your little comfort zone, I would encourage you to go check out what the rest of the world experiences every day. You are a wealthy, wealthy people. And it is because God has graced you with it. The Bible says he gives wealth and he gives poverty. Get thee behind me, Satan. I will ninja you. All right? The The Bible says that he sends poverty and wealth. And if he sent you poverty, 
It's because you have not demonstrated trustworthiness and faithfulness with the wealth he's tried to send you. Okay? Now, I got to thinking about this because, I mean, I work hard for my money. You know, I mean, I work hard. I have a good work ethic. And I shared this the other day. I didn't develop this on my own. I was taught a good work ethic. So it's not mine. I was graced with parents who work, and they taught me to work. And I'm, I am indebted to them because they taught me that discipline. Okay? So, it, so when I get paid, it's kind of mine because I've worked hard for it, right? That's kind of the general idea. But then I got to thinking about it. Well, it is God who called me to do it. It is God who gave me a brain to get educated to do it. It is God who gave me the gift to do it. It is God who gives me the daily health to even get up and do it. It is God who has built this amazing church body to provide the place, the people, and the resources to do it. It is God who provides the finances for me to get paid for doing it. So at the end of the day, whose money is it? Way? Look at, anyway, look at your neighbor and say, it ain't Pastor Joel's. Now look at your neighbor and say, it ain't yours either. I want you to know that shoe wears on everybody's foot. It's not yours. It is not yours. And, and you say, well, I kind of think it's mine. And some of you think, well, I just wish at the end of the week I had a little bit that I could pretend like it's mine. You know what I'm saying? Because it's Christmas, all right? Listen what the Bible says about who owns it all. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him were all things created. All things that are in heaven, all things that are in earth, all things that are visible, all things that are invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, now that gives us an understanding that there is nothing in existence, seen or unseen, nothing in existence up, nothing in existence down, nothing in existence frontward or backward or anywhere around us that is not God's. He created it. He created it for himself. Now, all he has done is allowed us to be stewards, potentially, of what is already his. And so he tests us. What he does is he, he's trying to run it through us like a filter, a channel of blessing. But often the filter gets blocked and we just back it up, man, and we white knuckle what is God's instead of allowing him to use it to bless the world. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth and everything in it, the world and all of its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. That pretty much says everything. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. Now, I think it's clear. God owns it all. Now, now sometimes what we do, if we don't give, uh, we say, well, if I had more money, I would give. In fact, if, if, if I had as much money as this person, I would give. If I had as much money as that person, I would give. Listen to your pastor. Lean in and listen. No, you would not. Okay? No, you would not. Making more money will not change your heart to be more giving. Okay? If you are not giving now, you won't give when you get more. But what we do is, is logically we say, yeah, but I make $1,000 a month. No, you don't. You make much more. But let's, these are easy numbers. I make $1,000 a month. And so if I want to start with a tithe, a 10% gift, then that's $100. Man, I only have 1000 If I give 100 that only leaves me uh, $900, right? You say, man, if I was making 10000 a month, 
And I'd have all kinds of money, so I would let that thousand go. No, you would not. No, you would not. If you don't give the little, you're not going to give the lot, okay? You say, well, you don't know that for sure. No, I don't, but God does. Listen to what Jesus, these red letters, Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. This is what he says about that concept. He says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous or unfaithful in the very little thing is also unrighteous or unfaithful in the much. Jesus said, if you're good with the little stuff, you'll do just fine with the big stuff. If you don't do good by the small stuff, you're not going to do good by the big stuff. So listen to me, young families. Newlyweds, people are getting married right now. You have not maximized your earning potential. If you have, you're doing everything wrong, okay? You're not moving forward at all. Start right now. Start right now giving to the Lord through his local church, okay? He will bless you, and the 90% that you have left is blessed and 90% blessed money will always do better than 100% outside the blessing of God okay now I'm telling you and if you're here today and you're not well he was speaking to the young people middle-aged people old people if you're not given give to God and let God bless your money now we're going to talk about that a little bit further so question number one whose money is it look at your neighbor and say it's not really ours now that hurts right there so let's go to the next one. Number two question we need to answer about money. Is tithing required? Is tithing required? Well, before we talk about is it required, let's define it. You see, there are people who say, yeah, I tithe to the church. Let me, let me, let me tell you if you tithe. At the end of the year, um, excuse me, before April 15th, you'll have to fill out some paperwork because uh, uh, Donald Trump needs your money. Okay, and so on there, it's got this little line that says salaries, tips, and wages, you know, and, and money you found under the sofa. It's got everything on there because he wants a part of everything you have, okay? And so it's got this little block on there, everything you made, okay? When you fill out that little block right there, salaries, wages, tips, and whatever else is in that little uh, captioned box, okay? Take some, move the decimal place, and 10% of that, if you gave to the church, you're a tither. If you gave more than that, you're a tither. If it's 9%, you're not a tither. You're a giver, but you're not a tither, okay? Because tithing, by definition, is 10%. By definition, I think God knew when he's speaking to the Jews, let's keep it simple, 10% is easy math. But I want you to know something else. When it comes to tithing, it, it developed in the Old Testament and it was more than just 10%. You need to understand that Israel was not a democracy. They were a theocracy. And a theocracy meant that their nation was self-contained. Okay, And it meant that they would give 10% to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the priest. It would care for the priest. It would care for all of the feasts and the ceremonies. And then they gave another 10%. And that 10% would go to feed the hungry and to, for national security. And then every third year, they would give another 10%, which would cover other things. So in all, they gave about 23 and a third percent per year. Okay? And you say, huh. And I won't even give 10. Okay? Now, keep in mind, this is Old Testament. And the question is, is tithing required? Is tithing required? Because here's what you will read. Here's what you will hear. Because there's people out there 
who want to argue about whether something is Old Testament or New Testament, whether I'm supposed to do this, because we live in a world that although we're under grace, we want to strap on the law again. I want you to tell me, yes, you have to do this. No, you can't do that. That's what we want. We want some legalistic system that requires and tells us very definitively what we must do. So the question is, is tithing in the New Testament? Because we're New Testament people. We're grace walkers. We're new covenant. We're under Jesus. So am I supposed to tithe? Because some of you have already made your decision, I don't tithe. Because the tithe, I read an article and I I discovered that tithing is Old Testament. And I'm not in the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament. So here's the answer to the question. Is tithing required? Because I read an article, excuse me, I listened to a a pastor and he was saying that churches are wrong for requiring a tithe. You're not required to tithe. If you were, many of you would not be here next Sunday. We would church you. Crickets. Neither is fasting. Because I challenged you to fast and many of you didn't fast this week about your gift. And if it was required, many of you would be churched. We'd have a smaller crowd next week. Prayer is not required. We don't check your prayer life. Witnessing is not required. Reading your Bible is not required. But fasting, prayer, witnessing, reading your Bible, and giving is recommended. It's recommended by Scripture. Why is it not required? Listen to me. Because we're not under the law. Nothing is required. You're under grace. You can do what the Lord puts in your heart. So some of you are thinking, praise the Lord, I don't have to give 10%. No, you don't. And your pastor will not tell you you have to give 10%. Listen, we don't give because we are required. We give, listen, because we are redeemed. In the Old Testament, they gave because they're required. In the New Testament, we give because we are redeemed. You see, in the Old Testament, a lamb or a bull would pay the price for the sin. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus gave not 10%. Jesus gave not a part. Jesus gave it all on a cross. And our response to redemption is we give back. And if you want to know if you should give, you look at me and listen to me. Yes, you should. Should you give 10%? No. Way, way more. Because you're people of grace. Now, that's uncomfortable. Okay? Well, let's see what Scripture says. What what can we learn about this, this thing, about giving? Because people want to say, I don't give because it's Old Testament. Listen. Get, 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 listen, hear the whole story. Is tithing Old Testament? Yes, it is. But tithing and giving predates the Old Testament. Tithing was in existence before there was an Old Testament. In fact, 2,500 years before Moses wrote the Pentateuch, there's two guys named Cain and Abel who find themselves with an opportunity to give back to God. Why they knew that, I do not know. 
But they knew they were supposed to give back to God. And the Bible says that Cain, when the time was right, he gave part of his harvest, a, a fruit or a, a crop a gift to God. Abel, on the other hand, it says it gave, he gave the fattest he had. He gave the best of his herd. Okay, The Bible says that God was pleased with Abel and he was unpleased with Cain. Is it because Abel gave a blood sacrifice? No. It's because Cain gave the leftovers. Abel gave the firstovers. Okay? So 2,500 years before the Old Testament, tithing and giving exist. Move it forward a little bit, 500 years before the law. You find Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek. 400 years before the law, you find, uh, you find Jacob giving a, a tithe. So tithe is old. It's old. Look at your neighbor and say, giving is outside of Old or New Testament. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. Because they didn't hear me, so I don't want to hear you. You're closer. Okay. Does God care about I want to tell you, there's three people care about your money. You. I should say four. You, your wife. That'd be two. Okay. God and the devil. They all watch your money. And they all want a part of your money. Okay. You do. Your wife does. The devil does. And God does. Everybody's jockeying for a little bit more of the money. Do, do you really believe God's concerned about your money? Let me tell you how concerned and how real he wants to be about your money. In the Bible, there's about 500 verses about prayer. Okay, because why? Because prayer's big, right? It should, get, it should merit a good number of verses. In the Bible, there's about 500 verses on faith. Why? Because it, outside of faith, it's sin. It takes faith to please God. It's a big subject, so it should get a lot of verses. Money and possessions in God's Word, it weighs in about 2,000 verses. Isn't that weird? Prayer 500, faith 500, money and possessions 2,000. Why is that? Because the God who owns it all knows how we are white-knuckle accumulators. Okay? We want to hold on. God knows our heart. So be very, very careful when you say, I'm of the New Testament. So let's clarify. Is tithing New Testament? No. Well, then what am I supposed to give? What am I supposed to give? Well, in the New Testament, I want you to understand when Jesus came, he, he did something weird with the Old Testament. First of all, he fulfilled it. Secondly, he completed it. Thirdly, he amplified it. Now, what does that look like? So if you're not an Old Testament giver, I ain't a tither because I'm not Old Testament. I am free. I'm liberated. I'm in the New Testament. Okay? Let me tell you what that looks like. Jesus said, the Old Testament said, thou shalt not commit murder. That's what the Old Testament said. Jesus said, but I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus said, the Old Testament says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said in the New Testament, but if you've looked with lustful eyes on someone else, you've already committed adultery in your heart. The Old Testament says an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. I kind of like that. Somebody hurts you, you hurt them worse. It's a good plan. Jesus said not so much. Jesus says you're supposed to love your enemy and pray for your enemy. And if they take your shirt, give them your coat. Jesus amplified it. So now all of a sudden, let's think about the whole idea of giving. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. And we didn't have grace yet. You know what Jesus says about 10%? Jesus says you're paying way too little for the grace that you've been given. 
for the price that he paid, you should be ashamed for what you give. Now, that's uncomfortable truth, and I'm talking to me, all right? Because I am a beneficiary of the greatest gift ever given. I am a beneficiary of the sacrificial blood of God's only Son on a cross. And so I have all of heaven to gain one day, an abundant life, full and free on this earth. And yet when it comes to our money, man, we squeeze it and we hang on to it and we don't want to let go of it. So what happens is we come up with all of these ideas of why we don't give. And we end up like Cain instead of Abel. That we just give him the leftovers. <clears throat> Let me explain what that looks like in reality. Say you get paid once a month. And as soon as you get paid, you've been collecting the mail for the last four days. And all of those bills kind of come in at the same time. I've got my house payment. Man, i got to pay that or they're going to come get my house. Eleven fifty, Send. Okay? Doesn't matter if it's a check or on the line. On the line, whatever that is. Okay? Then you say, I got my car. That's $425. I got to pay that, or they're going to come get my car. I like my car. Got to pay my wife's car. She drives a cheaper car, $235. Okay. I got to pay for those 250 channels of absolute nothingness coming into my house, $169, but that does include internet. Okay. Now I've got to pay for gas. I got to pay for electric, got to pay for water, okay? Now I got to pay for my kids' private school bill. Now I got to pay, uh, put some, I got to pay my Discover card. Oh, it's almost Christmas. That's $2,100. That took up everything I even thought about saving, okay? All of that, man. We, we pay them, we pay them. Why? Because they're going to come get us, all right? And then we think, oh, yeah, I've got to, I've got to pay my put my offering in I got ooh, you got any money you stashed any I got $13.84 I will give it to Jesus because he's been so good to me listen if that's you take your $13.84 and hang on to it till next month because it's all upside down and you are not under the blessing of God in your finances you are on your own and listen to me, folk. God is not interested and he will not bless the crumbs that fall off the table. God is interested in your first fruit. What is the first fruit? You cash your check, say. Say you're old school. You pay everything cash and you got $2,000. You cash it. You got $2,100. You take two of those, bam, they go to church. Now I'm going to live off this right here. And let me tell you something. 90% of your income blessed will go further than 100% unblessed ever would be, ever would go. Okay? And I'm not me. I love you. Remember I told you I love you? Remember I told you I love the church? Remember I told you I'll challenge you with God's word. It's true. And I want you to experience it. So it's not required, but it's expected. We do it not because we're required. We do it because we're redeemed. You say, well, yeah, but... You, 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 you haven't showed us in the New Testament. You showed us Old Testament. Where does it tell me in the New Testament how much to give? Okay, funny you should ask. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. All right? In case you don't know, that's New Testament. 
All right. Here's what it says. On the first day, which is Sunday, of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In other words, a proportion, a portion, a, a proportionate amount of what you've been given. Saving it up, okay, so that when I come, collections, uh, no collections will have to be made. It means to go ahead and put it in the storehouse. Now listen to me. In the Old Testament, the storehouse is the temple. In the New Testament, the storehouse is the church. So he says, put that in the church so no collection has to be made. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. This is Jesus says, but woe to you Pharisees. You give a tenth of your mint, your rue, and every herb, yet you neglect justice and love for God. But you should have done these things, talking about justice and love, without neglecting the others. He says, listen, you should keep giving your tithe, but you should give love and mercy or justice as well. So God is interested in your money. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. In somebody's life, even right here, you don't give because this is what you've told yourself. The devil told you this, but you, you think you told yourself. I'm not going to give to that church because I don't agree with the way they spend the money. Okay? Now, maybe you didn't, but you know somebody close to you that has said that before. Don't say that. Do not say that. Even if you disagree. You know, they're going to have that Christmas program, and they're going to have a live camel and a donkey and some sheep. I bet that cost $1,000. We could have used cardboard. It would have been just as good. We would have spent about $30, saved $970. So I'm not paying my tithe. Okay, I'm not giving to that church because I don't agree with it. You know what you just did? You just opened up your checkbook for an audit from God. Because God has told you to give, and he will bless you for what you do. If the church is not doing what it should do with your money, let God worry about that. He's big enough to take care of it, okay? So here's what we do. We say, God, I'm not giving to the church. I don't agree with it. We say, okay, God, here's what God does. He comes, and he starts looking into your checkbook. And he sees, you know, that little scenario I painted a minute ago, all those bills going out, nothing left in the bottom of the box at the end of the, at the, end of the week because we didn't do it right and give it at the first of the week. We have just opened up ourselves for a godly audit. And, 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 and then he says, okay, I was, I was tolerating it before, unpleased, yes, but tolerating it nonetheless. Now I have to respond because of how you've responded in your giving. You say, well, what does that, what's that got to do with anything? Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Kind of a scary thought. So we're just supposed to do what God has called us to do. It's kind of like, you know, when you pull up to the... Uh, exit ramp down here in Knoxville and there's a guy or a woman or a family standing there holding a sign and you feel like man I want to help them out okay but then the judge puts his robe on and he takes his gavel and he taps it on the dashboard of the truck and he says yeah he's probably going to buy wine with it anyway probably going to buy drugs I know you've never done that but you know people who have First of all, let me say this. You don't have to lower your head, bow your head, and be ashamed. You do help those folks. 
we help CARM, we help other ministries like that. Yesterday we gave about 70 boxes, uh, baskets of hope. Our college students did, did an excellent job. It was amazing. It was beautiful. We help those organizations. So you don't have to hang your head. But there's moments in time when God says you're supposed to give. And instead of giving, you, you go back to that judge thing. I'm not giving because they're going to use it for drugs. Listen, God doesn't, God's not penalizing you for what they do with your money. God only penalizes you for what you do with your money. And if they buy drugs with, with their money and you refuse to give your money because you're judgmental, you're both under the same deal. So don't be afraid to give and say, God, use that money for good and help that person. Say a prayer over it. But you don't have to. The church, the church is here to help take care of that. So it's God's money. Grace giving is expected, which is far more than 10%, which is uncomfortable, and nobody really wants to think about that. Number three, why is giving important? Why is it important? Well, first of all, it shows that we are being good stewards before God. In Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, excuse me, 10 through 13, it says, The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Verse 11, if then you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, which is God's, uh, who will give you your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So when we give, we demonstrate that we're being good stewards with what is not actually ours. It's all God's anyway. Okay? The second thing, the second reason why giving is important is, is that it demonstrates where it is that we place our faith. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let me explain because this is real. We live, in a, we live in an unusual time in our country where used to people had pensions and people had uh, uh, social, social security. And they've been saying for 20 years, you know, yeah, you better plan because there's probably not going to be any social security for you when you get there. Well, it's still there. It's limping along, okay. It's badly in debt, but still there. But what we do is we get a little scared about our future, and so, we, man, we start going, we start socking money into 401K. We start putting money away. We start trying to build something so we'll have something to eat on one day when the whole government shuts down and we don't have anything. And just for the record, if it gets that bad, your 401K probably went with it unless you listen to Robert Devane or whatever his name is and you got a sack full of gold coins and that's the answer to everything, right? So what we do is we think about this, man. We worry about it. Every month we get our statement from Thrivent Financial or whoever it is that we have our, our uh, 401Ks with. Man, and we watch it, we watch it, we watch it, we watch it. Right? Because we've got our treasure in there. The Bible says that when we give, it demonstrates where we place our faith because that's where our treasure is. You know, that's like the deal when you look at your checkbook or you look at your banking statement and you see all of these big things above what it is that we give to God's house and to his kingdom work. That's why it's a little upsetting to us because we realize there's a whole lot of things that are way up on the totem pole above what we give to God. And that is where we placed our treasure. Number three, it removes the stress of accumulating wealth. 
You see, we want, to, we want more and more and more. They ask rich people, how much is enough? And they say, I'll tell you when I get there. You know, they don't, there's no end to it. And so when we, when we have open hands to give, it, it frees us up, up not to worry about accumulating so much wealth. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. David Platt, who's now over, I think it's the International Mission Board, I don't think it's the North American Mission Board. He had a pastor at a church in, in uh, Birmingham, great church. And this is what he said. He said he instructed his church on giving and their lifestyle and being content. He said, he said, right now, the whole church, he said, establish in your life what would be a level, a good level of living for you. And it's different for different people in different areas. But establish, you know, what, what, what kind of home you would live in. What kind of cars you would, live, you would drive around in. You know, where you would go on vacation. How much you would spend on your children and on holidays and all that. Just kind of just set the bar, okay? And then never move that bar. Maintain contentment where that bar is at. And, and then when you make more money than it takes to accomplish that bar, remain content and realize all of that money in excess of where that bar is at, you are free to give for the kingdom. You're free to give to the local church. You're free to give to the mission of your choice. You're free to help families in need. All of that is money forgiven. And he said when you do that, then all of a sudden you're, you find yourself even more content with what you have and you begin to even get convicted that your bar was set so high to start with and so it removes that from us as we give next it keeps our priorities in balance first timothy 6 10 one of the 2000 verses it says for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs i have known people who were people of faith that god blessed because in first samuel it says god is the one who blesses with wealth and he blessed them with wealth but with the wealth came a desire for more wealth. And with the wealth came uh, worries about their wealth. And with the wealth came this concerns that they're going to lose their wealth. And so they became so passionate and consumed by their wealth that they walked away from the faith from where their wealth originally originated. And you may have seen it too. So giving keeps that from happening. And so I'm going to give you what I call the tithe challenge. I've told you this story about my dad when he got saved and <clears throat> when he did he got radically saved and the preacher came to him and told him this simple challenge he said I want you to start giving 10% keep in mind 10% in, it is not in the New Testament but that's the floor of giving grace givers have to be much higher than that Okay, but it's the floor of giving and if we're not giving 10% that's the floor we're either in the crawl space or in the basement you know what I'm saying we're not even at the floor. And so he told, he told my dad, you need to give 10%. My dad said, well, I make, you know, 40, whatever it was, $80 a week, you know, $2 an hour. This was back in the 60s. And he said, I've got uh, four kids, or at the time, three kids. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just how much you think I ought to give? And the pastor said, I said you said $80? That'd be $8. You know, and he didn't mean, well, you think I'm supposed to give percentage. He said, how do you think I have any? So the pastor told him this. He says, if you'll give 10%. If you'll tithe for the next six months, if you're not blessed for giving, I'll give your money back. Now, I told you one day, I said, man, that's a great plan. I ain't doing that. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. If you're here today and you're not a giver, you're not a tither, that's the floor of giving based on Scripture. 
That's Old Testament before the sacrificial grace gift of Jesus on a cross. If you don't tithe 10%, if you're not even at the floor, I challenge you to do it. Now, you have to come and tell me, Brother Joel, I haven't been a tither, but I'm going to start being a tither. I'm going to do it for three months, and if I'm not blessed in three months, you're going to give me my money back, and I'm going to look you right in the face and say, yes, I am. And if I'm not able to, Jeremy Horton will give it to you because he's got a whole lot of money. Okay, I will give your money back. I will give your money back if you're not blessed by tithing in three months, okay? Now, you cannot give cash in the offering plate, you know, 20 bucks a week, and then come to me and say, yeah, I tithed, I gave $400 a week, you know. No, you writing a check, we have a record of it, I'll give your money back. That's how, that's how real I know this discipline is. I know it is real. And you can come to me and look me in the eye and say, I don't believe in giving. I don't believe God requires it. I don't believe we're supposed to. And I will look at you and say, that's fine. No requirement for giving. But in my mind, don't take this hard. I'll think to myself, that is a foolish choice. Because God will honor your willingness to let go of what's already his and trust him to continue to bless. I'm a walking testimony of that. My wife is a walking testimony of that. My two girls, you can ask them, the life we've lived, we don't bring that much to the table, but God has blessed us unbelievably. I can tell you, I can show you in Scripture, I can give you a testimony of what God's done in my life, but when it all comes down to it, you get to decide whether or not you're going to do fine without God's blessing on your finances and your possessions, or if you want God to whisper and breathe over them and make something special. So there's the challenge. Number four are, of the questions, are there different models for giving? Are there different models for giving? There's a lot of different examples of givers in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10, he describes, he says, a generous sower is a generous reaper, and God will multiply the harvest. I call that a generous giver. They just give, man, knowing that God's just going to bless it. They don't give it to be blessed. They give it because they are uh, they're products of grace. There's the cheap giver in the same passage. It says these are the ones who sow sparingly and they reap sparingly. That's the cheap giver. I used to say it this way. Sow cheap, reap cheap. Sow a heap, reap a heap. And you say, well, that's prosperity gospel. No, it's not prosperity gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 9. Okay? It's what it says. Okay? Number three, there's the committed giver. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, give that which is decided in your heart. Let me explain how this works because I have done this. You run into a gift from somewhere. Somebody dies and they leave you this gift. I want to say it's $100,000. And you're like, wow, thank you, Lord. I know this is a blessing from heaven. That's a lot of money. I wouldn't even expect I'm going to give half of it to Jesus. Before Jesus ever makes the cut, it keeps getting whittled down. And then he gets 50 bucks in the plate. Okay. He says, give what, what you've decided in your heart and hold to that, and God will honor that. There's the committed giver. There's the cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word is hilaros. We get our word hilarious. When is the last time the offering plate was a hilarious moment in the service? I mean, people, oh, baby, we get a gift. <laughs> Here's mine. No, it ain't hilarious. It's more like you're at the mortuary. You know, like, 
can over <laughs> Okay, there it goes. Okay? We, cheerful givers. There's the mindful giver. In verses 10 and 11 in the same passage, it t- describes the man, the person who scatters and gives and sows. He is intentional about what he does. He says, man, I just want to give. I'm just going to find a place where I can give. There's the grace giver in verses 14 and 15. The gift of grace moves us to grace gift. In Luke chapter 21, we find the the lady who gives the mite all that she had for sustenance. That's the sacrificial giver. There's the extravagant giver. That's in Mark 14. The woman who takes the the costly jar of alabaster and pours it on Jesus. And and don't you think it's interesting that when when she does that, it says, but there were some who were present, who indignantly said to one another, why this waste of expensive ointment? Now let me just tell you, you're going to have friends in your circle, family members in your circle, who will talk about it. They'll ask you today, what did preacher preach, preach about? You can say money. Oh, preaching about money again. Yeah, you give your money to the church. Yeah, I give my money to the church. Why would you give your money to the church? Because why? Because they don't understand it. They don't get the fact that God is the giver of all things. Most importantly, his grace gift found in Jesus. There's the deceptive giver. This is found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember? They're taking up a collection for the church. And Ananias shows up. He had sold a piece of property. And he acted like he was giving all of the proceeds from the property. But in reality, he stashed a little bit for himself. Okay? And so when, when they find out about it, he asks me, have you, given, have you given all of the money? Oh, yeah, I gave it all. Bam, Holy Spirit takes him into never-never land. They drag him outside. His wife, Sapphira, shows up. And Peter says, did you all give all your money? Yeah, we gave it all. Bam, she dies too. Now, I'm not suggesting if you don't tithe or give, you know, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit busts you before you get out of here because, honestly, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do with the body. So we'll just leave that alone, okay? The Lord will take care of all that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm describing Scripture, okay? That's, that's what this is, okay? There's, there's the sinful giver. The sinful giver is found in Malachi chapter 3. You remember the story? God says, who is robbing me? And they say, we're not robbing you. How can we rob you? He says, you are robbing me in tithes and contributions. The thief, the sinful giver. In Malachi 3, and this is my favorite, and this is the challenge for you, is the convinced giver. The, the, the convinced giver is the one who has tested God in this thing and realized that God is telling the truth as he only can do He blesses our gifts. This is found in Malachi 3. I want you to understand there's only one place in Scripture that I know of where where we are encouraged to test God and see. Listen to what it says. Malachi 3. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now therewith. Test me in this, saith the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open you the windows of heaven... And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, test him and see. So if you're here and you've never learned the discipline of giving, test him and see. Don't listen to your preacher. Test God and see if he will not honor it. So the question is, of all of those, which one are you? Hmm. And which one could you become? Because God wants us all to move to a new place including the pastor. He's convicted my heart to move to a new place in my giving. And, I, and I'm really excited about it. Uncomfortable, yes, but excited, yes. So I'm going to give you eight steps to moving to a new level of stewardship, and we're finished. First of all, submit all that you are to him. That's where you begin. 
Number two, study God's word for counsel and direction regarding his desire for your giving. Number three, see all that God has done for you. Take an inventory. Count your blessings. Next, set aside God's part first. Set it aside. Next, start with the floor of 10%. Next, systematically give. Make it a part of your routine every week, every month, however you get paid. And lastly, excuse me, and next to last, spontaneously give as God directs your heart. And lastly, simplify your spending for financial freedom. Clean it up so you got something to give. So God will bless the rest. And I close with this in 2 Corinthians, that passage that I was reading. He describes how we're to give. But I want you to hear his response, okay? This is New Testament. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. Beginning in verse 6, it says, My point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, here it goes, now his response. God is able to make all grace overflow to you. So that because you have enough of everything in every way and at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Just as it is written, he has scattered widely and he has given to the poor and his righteousness remains forever. Now God who provides seed to the sower and bread for food, he will also provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. You will be enriched in every way and you, that you may be generous on every occasion, on and on and on. Do you hear that? God says, I'm not wanting anything that's not already mine. I'm only giving it to you to see how you respond to the greatness of who he is. He just gives it to you so you'll learn to trust him more and learn to love him more. And I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you're lost, the, listen, listen, don't pay any attention. The boys and girls are coming in. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're lost, it's really important that you know this. God is very clear about your destiny and your future. Outside of the grace of Jesus, there is a destiny for those who are lost, and it's called hell. And it is a place of torment and suffering that lasts forever, and there, there is no redemption from that. And if you're in that camp today, do not give to the Lord, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this world is as good as it gets for you. So you need to enjoy while you're here. Paul even said, if there is no resurrection, if what we believe were not true, then we need to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If it's terminal for you, then just enjoy what you have because it's yours and it's the best it's going to get. But you know what? If you are a child of the king, if you've been adopted into the kingdom in Jesus, I want you to know what the Bible says to you and what the Bible says to me. In Matthew 6, it says, do not accumulate for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and so right now here's what we're going to do I'm going to invite our children if you'll just make a line around the side wherever they've got an offering to put in this in this box right here 
These are our first fruits offering. People ask me all the time, when are we going to build a building? When everybody gets their heart right. When people start sharing Jesus with people. When people start giving. God has given this body the resources to build all the building we want, but we won't let go of it. We won't share with God what is already His. And so I wanted these boys and girls to experience giving because this is when you learn to give. This is when you begin to understand that, hey, I just let it go. And you know they understand that. Parents of these children, you know they understand it because they're real quick to let go of your money. You know that's true. And if you don't understand it yet, Christmas is in about mm, six weeks away or so, and uh, five weeks away, whatever it is, and uh, they're ready for big Christmas, all right? Isn't that a beautiful bunch of boys and girls? I think, he, I think he's getting ready to take a loan. He was checking. I think he was going to make a withdrawal, all right? Now, now, for the rest of us, if you're here today and you want to be a part of First Fruits Offering, Here's how it works. If you've got a check you want to drop it in the box, you can. If you want to put it in one of those envelopes in the back of your seats, you can do that. Just put on their first fruits. Excellent. Okay. Uh, you, can, you can put it in there as a check. You can put it in there as an envelope. If you've got cash and you want to, be, you want to get a record of it for, for your tax purposes, be sure it's in an envelope with your name and how much it is. Okay. Now, we do this this week and we do it next week. And our goal, just honestly, for, for today and next week, it should be well over $100,000. But it doesn't happen if you haven't given it any thought. And if you haven't given it any thought or any prayer or any fasting, please don't, don't put it in there without fasting and praying. Because I want it to be blessed. I want your world to be rocked and blessed in your gift, okay? And we'll do it again next week. Not this way, but next week you can supply it. Maybe you want to do Maybe you don't have the money, but you would like to participate. You can take an envelope. And write your name on there and say, I, I want to give this much money per week or per month or whatever and make my first fruits each, each week or each month as the Lord gives it. Okay, you can do it that way. You just write it on an envelope and turn it in. Now, why do we do this? Because we're trying, I'm trying to move our church to a different place. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about a different place spiritually, man, where we just trust God because he's a good God. And he will bless our life and he'll bless our church. And as we grow and continue to grow, we'll outgrow this. And I hope we're in three services. And then it's going to take about $4 million to build a new building next door. Okay? It takes a lot of money to do that. We talked about that trailer we want to take down to provide hot meals and showers for the homeless. It takes money to do that. Okay? This, this is first fruits. This is above and beyond our weekly giving. And I, I, I'm so proud of our church weekly, man. And we just give, we just give, and God provides, and we meet our budget, and it's wonderful. And it doesn't happen like that in every church. And so I do not take that for granted. I'm very thankful to God and thankful that you're willing to let God use you. But listen, there comes a place when God calls us to a new level, and this is one of those places. So uh, 